0: Hello there and welcome to the Tech Means Business Podcast. This is a series of podcasts that concentrates on that particular space where businesses and technology come together. Now from the dangers of phishing attacks and account takeovers through to the implementation of zero trust frameworks and identity verification solutions, we've seen firsthand all of us how technology continues to shape the way that we approach online safety. Now, in everyday life, websites and apps require us usually to log in before accessing services, and typically this involves entering a unique identifier, usually email address or username, along with a password. Increasingly, however, this particular method of verifying who we are is owned to fraud. And even though two-step verification can add an extra layer of protection, it doesn't guarantee complete protection by any means. So to overcome this, some companies are adopting zero-trust access evaluations and privilege access management, and these grant or deny network access or access to any resources based on real-time assessments, which are risk-weighted. A significant concern facing internet users is the potential for fraud resulting from electronic signatures these days being declared equal to traditional wet ink signatures, if you like. This equivalence was established under the e Act and it put business-critical agreements into digital form. However, companies may be fearful of exposing themselves to corruption or loss of intellectual property by means of contractual fraud that comes about as a result of compromised electronic credentials. Therefore, we need to talk about electronic signatures in the context of zero-trust cybersecurity frameworks. We're lucky today to be joined by two individuals who are well-known in their respective fields and that can help us understand zero-trust and privileged access management and how these concepts can be applied to digital agreements in a legislatively compliant and secure way. First of all, we have Shanti Aya, the CIO at DocuSign. DocuSign is, of course, the world's foremost electronic agreement platform. I'm Brett Winterford, the Chief Security Officer for Asia-Pacific and Japan at Okta. Okta is a primary supplier of digital identity verification systems and it's trusted by multinationals and financial institutions and governments, in fact, the world over. Let's start with some introductions if we can. Shanti Aya, would you give us some words of autobiography if you would?
1: So Shanti Ayer and CIO at DocuSign for about two years right now. And prior to that, I spent 22 years at Cisco. So kind of scaled along with the company, you could say. Started my career in India, worked there for about a year. And then when I came to the US, I kind of switched over to doing more database administration. And that is how I got interested into the data space quite a bit. And then played multiple roles at Cisco and ended up becoming the chief data officer for the company prior to switching to DocuSign.
0: Thank you, Shanti, and Brett Winford from Okta. Um, could you give us some words of introduction about yourself, please?
2: My name's Brett Winford. I'm the regional chief security officer for Okta. My current role uh, basically is is part of a global security function that follows the sun uh, around uh, around the world, from the Americas to to uh, Asia Pacific and. And up to Europe, um, but also occasionally um, means that I get to, to to get in front of customers and talk through their security issues as well. So, a uh, very enjoyable role. And thanks to both
0: my guests. Before we start talking about document protection, digital signatures, and cybersecurity, perhaps we should define some terms. Zero trust, for instance, is a security framework that improves application protection and network protection by assuming everything is malicious. And by everything, I'm lumping together users, physical human beings, as well as machines, which might be a smartphone, or a machine might be a laptop, or indeed an Internet of Things device. Zero Trust assumes that everything is malicious until proven
2: otherwise. Brett, however, is the expert on this. We'll let him tell us a little more. Uh, Access is only offered to resources... In a zero trust model, on a per session and least privilege basis, so that means there shouldn't be circumstances in which, because you've authenticated to a resource once, that that authentication is implied or permanent, which often happens on on networks. And least privilege basis obviously means you'll only get access to what you need to perform the tasks that that, that you are required to perform, and then that access is is dynamically evaluated at the point of authentication according to this broad set of context. So we already talked about network context, but also device context. Is this device known? Has this user authenticated with that device before? Is the device registered? Uh, Does does it have uh, an agent on it, for example? Is it managed? Is it fully managed, that device managed by the corporation or is it BYOD? Is it exhibiting secure posture? So, for example, is the host-based firewall turned on? Is the... Is it using the latest browser and operating system? Is it jailbroken? All of those kind of things. All of that context can be assessed at the point of authentication. So if that's the definition of zero trust, this kind of
0: dynamic approach to ensuring that things that access the network have to fit through or have a certain set of criteria applied to them, how does this, therefore apply to DocuSign because increasingly, of course, these business agreements and indeed personal agreements are held digitally and so therefore must be subject, one would think, to high degree of scrutiny. Shanti, tell us a bit about how DocuSign implements zero trust.
1: The first and foremost, I think what we are promising our customers is smarter, trusted, easier agreements. And people come together really for important moments in life when they use DocuSign, like purchasing a home, for example, right? So we want to make sure that the word trusted in our motto is seriously understood within the company. And the, starting from how we secure the legal agreements, how we encrypt, how we store, how we share, how it ends up, you know, even at the customer's hands, are all very thoughtfully done, especially when it comes to security. You could almost say that sometimes we are paranoid (laughs) about security. Yeah, but it's a good thing because it really amplifies our brand. um, And it has really helped us in terms of both sustainability message and also our trust message.
0: Now, ever since the first days of the Internet and Internet-born threats, cybersecurity professionals and C-suite increasingly professionals have always had to balance that usability with security and responsibility, final responsibility, the buck stops with the CIO or the CTO. Shanti, how do you balance that idea that documents should both be secure and yet easily accessible and easily addressable?
1: My primary responsibility is to make sure that we balance security with experience. Because you cannot overload logins and authentications so that it becomes so cumbersome for the employees and our customers. So you actually have to balance it in a way that you are absolutely amplifying trust, but also not compromising experience in the same way.
0: Now, of course, in an ideal world, our governments would give us some guidance, not only to finding that sweet spot that Shanti was talking about there, but also to... Best practice in general for cybersecurity. And I know that NIST, for example, has produced some guidelines, as has the Australian government as well, um, eight guidelines in that particular case, as to cybersecurity best practice. So we asked Brett from Okta about whether NIST guidelines, just to take an example, are a good starting point, or whether really we should be taking it merely as a starting point, and building our own policies and our own layers of security on top.
2: I don't tend to support really prescriptive security regulations in which some particular set of controls is mandated, and only because there aren't many security controls that tend to be universally applicable, right? But um, I do like it when governments set themselves up as exemplars of, of security best practices. So in that case... Biden was saying, you know, we'll mandate that agencies use basic common sense controls like multi-factor authentication, endpoint protection, logging and monitoring, just really basic things for government systems. And that signals to then the private sector that these kind of initiatives are important. And when Biden also in that executive order said that the federal government would pursue a zero trust security model, that was also a great signal to the rest of the private sector about what was important, and you saw two months later the Australian government update their essential eight controls to to look at you know similar things. At, at the most basic level, essential eight requires multifactor authentication for, for workforce access to government systems, but also for citizen access to government services. So there was this kind of groundswell of of activity across multiple jurisdictions that that were just mandating common sense controls in and around government, and I think that that has had a pretty profound effect. Uh, on not just the security of government services, but what the the core expectations are in, in private industry as well.
0: This is sounding a great deal more optimistic to me. It's almost as if by layering security on top of a base level as mandated by NIST or the Australian Essential 8, companies can really differentiate themselves from their competitors, especially, and it has to be said, especially if what a software platform is doing is handling, managing and working with incredibly sensitive documentation, for example. So in the case of DocuSign, I'm guessing then that the security levels are, well, should we say multifaceted?
1: Yes, it's definitely multifaceted. For example, we actually have a very, very robust storage encryption management for all legal agreements, like we encrypt everything. In cases, we also allow bring your own keys. So DocuSign does not own the keys. The customers own the keys. We also implement a lot of what we call crawling and detecting and understanding what is happening at all times. So there is a ton of monitoring that happens at all times. On the flip side of it, we also manage a very robust incident response SOC operations uh, framework. And when you put all this together, it's not only detecting and responding, but also from the beginning, are we taking care of the data? Are we encrypting the data? Are we ensuring that it is not compromised in any way by an employee of DocuSign? So that helps when the customers bring their own keys. Our sharing practices are super rigid, uh, and the customer has to provide access to any administrator that they want to. We don't control how the customer's entitlements happen. The customers manage how their entitlements happen. So that gives us confidence uh, in many ways, I would say. That constant monitoring and constant checking
0: is a really important part of zero trust and privileged access management. I wonder if we could get Brett just to talk us through how this works in practical and technical terms.
2: Where the world's moving to now is that even after you've authenticated that access is being evaluated continuously during a session, so not simply at the point of signing in, but as you move through that session that there are other touch points in which that context is evaluated again and again and again just to make sure that everything is as it should be. It's a far more complex set of considerations for a policymaker, but in in many cases it ends up a simpler experience for the end user because sometimes it means they don't have to re-authenticate at certain times because that context is still suggesting that it's the same, you know, there's still high assurance that it's the same user.
0: So it seems to come down to policy to a certain extent. For example, if I wanted to write a policy that determined uh, how and when administrators could log in and change things, how would I go about writing a security policy, for instance, from that standpoint of view?
2: Sure, yeah. So what, what you're looking for, I guess, is assurance, a level of assurance, depending on the sensitivity of the resource you're trying to access well, which of our applications and data sets are the most and least sensitive, and you group them. And the, the NIST, again, provides guidance on authenticator assurance level. And if you write policies that, that, are, that are aligned with the required assurance levels, you can say, well, some sensitive access to some sensitive resources we will only allow when the risk level is determined to, um, to be sat, you know, satisfactory for that, for that particular resource.
0: So I'm assuming then, Shanti, that as far as DocuSign is concerned, you have those granular privilege settings that can be implemented uh, for people in the organisation should they so require, and then a series of uh, different and highly complex privilege levels could be implemented?
1: Yeah, I, I, like I said, it's about easier also, right? Like we also say it's smarter, trusted, easier agreement. So we want the workflow to be seamless. We want the experience for a user to be touchless, as touchless as possible or as frictionless as possible. Um, but that said, if you asked me, would you compromise on security? No, it would always be security would trump. Uh, the trust brand would trump.
0: So Shanti, every day DocuSign managers and correlates highly sensitive contracts, business agreements, mortgages, leases, all sorts of uh, highly confidential intellectual property. And you're in charge of all that, you're in charge of security for the whole company of DocuSign and by proxy all its clients. If you had to give some basic advice, or even complex <laughs> advice, but if you had to give some words of wisdom to people listening to this, what would
1: they be? Clearly, role-based access is a a way to reduce the attack surface because the more you open more workloads to the company, now you just widen your attack surface. If you are a seller, you will need special applications access. If you are a finance person or an accounting person in the company, you will need a little bit more restricted access. Suddenly, you move jobs And you can't carry your access with you. So most companies kind of fall apart when within the company, when you're such a big company, like if you are a 100,000 employee company, people rotation within jobs is very common. And I have not seen mature practices around movers and leavers. When someone leaves, are you ensuring that everything that they had access to is removed? And how do you ensure that? Because a lot of businesses buy software and they integrate. And at some point, it becomes a spaghetti of software, right? So you need to have very good best practices for joiners, movers and leavers.
0: And Brett, you and the guys and girls at Okta obviously live and breathe cybersecurity. If you had advice or ways for people to find out more, what might they be as far as you're concerned?
2: In the internal security team at Okta um, runs a blog that's independent of the main company Um, it's sec sec for security sec.octa.com and what we do on that blog is we just talk about our experiences in responding to security incidents writing and sharing detections um, and basically talking about how the threat landscape is changing and and what we're doing as a team to try and accommodate that so it's our way of kind of sharing best practices with our customers i think that even if you weren't an octa customer uh, and you're using a competing solution, you'd probably find a lot of information there that would also be applicable to your security program. I'd thoroughly recommend people check that out.
0: And final word today goes to Shanti Aya from DocuSign. If people want to find out more about document and agreement management with DocuSign, what do they do,
1: Shanti? Anybody that wants to know anything about DocuSign, www.docuSign.com. Uh, we have ways you can try the product. It's probably one of the easiest Uh, products to use and uh, again, we are in the business of smarter, trusted, easier agreements and recording important moments in your life. Well,
0: I am afraid that we have run out of time. Thanks go to the two guests today who've made appearance on the Tech Means Business podcast, Brett Winterford of Okta and Shanti Aya of DocuSign. You can read full biographies on the show notes that accompany this podcast. In conclusion, I think it's probably worth pointing out that everything we do these days depends so much on digital technology, on software, and on hardware. And it is all, to a certain extent, susceptible to cyber attack. So really, it's up to us and it's up to responsible companies to help protect each and every user. I hope you can join me next time on the Tech Means Business podcast. Bye for now.